Thank you, Mary, for sharing uh, your wonderful story. Can you look at someone next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here today. And if you're online, just uh, you can say hello to the people around you online. Praise God for that. Uh, I must say, uh, Mary is the first person that I know who got a new car before they got a new driver's license, before they got a driver's license, crazy. Um, but I think she bought, had a car before she even learned how to drive. That's amazing. Uh, you can hear more about that amazing <laughs> story. Uh, talk to Mary about that. Uh, thanks for being here, bringing the church into either this online space or here, uh, here in Winter Garden. Um, it's good to see some of y'all who um, are, are here in person for the first time. Um, I think being here and, and having uh, come together in whatever form you have come in today um, is part of one of is one of many choices that you've already made today. There have been a lot of choices that you've made either to uh, wake up early and come to, am I going to worship online or am I going to worship in person? Am I going to worship in Alpha service, worship in Omega service? Am I going to stop by somewhere and pick somebody up or am I going to just come by myself? I'm going to eat breakfast at home or I'm going to eat breakfast at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm going to eat breakfast at all. Uh, what am I going to wear? What's my top going to look like? What's my bottom going to look like? What mask am I going to choose today? Am I going to snooze? Am I going to not snooze? There's a bunch of different decisions, a bunch of choices that have already been made today, uh, whether you know it or not, whether you've thought through them much or not. Um, the reality is that you've made a bunch of choices and a bunch of decisions already today. If you go on Google and say, how many choices, how many decisions do we make every day? Google will tell you that adults, I don't know where they got this number, but adults make 35,000 choices every day. That's wild. 35,000 choices every day, and they say that children make about 3,000 choices a day. Some of these are um, subconscious or unconscious decisions. You just decide, you just decide you're going to uh, wake up or pull something off the hanger or whatever it is, and, and others of them take a great deal of thought into, well, what should I do in this particular situation? After our worship service is done, a lot of you guys are going to eat lunch and you're going to have to decide, where am I going to eat lunch? Am I going to go by myself? Am I going to go with my family? Am I going to go with my friends? Am I going to go with my house church? Am I going to go to uh, eat tacos or am I going to eat McDonald's? Where am I going to eat? There's a bunch of different decisions that you're going to make. Some of the decisions that we make in life are pretty simple and not very consequential. Unless you get food poisoning, where you eat today is not going to make a huge difference unless God sovereignly orchestrates that as a single person, your future spouse is going to be at the place where you eat. What you eat today is not going to make that big a difference in the grand scheme of things. But there are choices, there are decisions that we make in life that are very difficult to make. And it's usually because these effects have long-lasting implications, and we, quite frankly, don't know the future. We don't know enough to be, able to, uh, to be able to discern all of the different variables that go into making the right decision. I would venture that many of us would feel like, whatever decision I make, I just want to make the right decision in the eyes of God. Uh, if that's clear to me, then it wouldn't be so difficult a thing for me to do, agonizing over this process of waiting upon God uh, to find what His will might be. I remember talking with a couple. Uh, we were sitting at, <coughs> at the Mall of Millennia, not recently, but it was some time ago. Um, it was a couple. The, the girl wanted to live in one city. The guy wanted to live in a completely different city. The job opportunities were in a completely th other city. And the, the lady was just so frustrated. She's like, we've been praying, 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 praying. If God just showed me where to go, if he just showed us where we ought to go, we would go, no questions asked, but we just don't know where he wants us to be. 
Have you ever felt like that before? You ever make like these crazy decisions and at the end you're like, I don't know what to do. Just flip a coin after all these months of, of analyzing, agonizing, interceding, praying, all of these things. I don't know what to do. Let's just flip a coin. Do you ever feel like you've got to make these decisions? Some of you, as you are in your senior year in high school, preparing to Take that next step. Do I go to college? Do I not? Do I go to trade school? Do I go to a community college? Do I go to a four-year college? Public, private, in-state, out-of-state? All of these decisions that need to be made about your job, about should I have another, should I, we try to have kids? Should we try to have another kid? Should we move to a city? Should I take this job or that job? Massive decisions that need to be made, and a lot of times they bring a lot of stress. But if you've been reading through the book of Proverbs, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs about every area of life. And what I want to do today is run this idea of making decisions through the lens, through the grid of wisdom and folly again. At the end of the day, here's the deal. If you make a wise decision, it will lead to life for you and for many people. If you make the wrong, an ungod, unwise, foolish decision, then it will lead to harm for yourself and for other people as well. So it makes sense that we would seek to make the godliest decision in every situation that we're given. <clears throat> so today, what we want to do is look at the book of Proverbs. How do I make wise decisions? How do I make decisions that give life to others, that uh, protect life for myself? And how do I uh, avoid the foolishness that comes from ungodly decisions? We're going to look at the Proverbs chapter 19, and as we did last week, we're going to look at a bunch of different verses, a bunch of different passages. Uh, I just want to highlight three major thoughts, major ideas that will help us in order to become people who make wise and godly decisions. Proverbs 19, I think the verses will be on the screen. Thanks to uh, guys like John and Ryan and Kenny and all of our media crew who are uh, running, uh, putting things up on the screen, uh, doing this uh, live stream, all that stuff. Uh, thank you guys for your, uh, for your hard work and your faithful labors. We're going to start in Proverbs 19. This is verse 21. This is God's Word. Many are the plans in a man's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Okay? Many are the plans in the Lord's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Here's the first thought. You have to start and end with God. You want to be a wise decision maker. You want to make the best decisions. Here's the first thought. You have to start and end with God. What does that mean? Proverbs makes it clear throughout the book, but also in Proverbs 19.21, that there is one God who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. He sees everything in one fell swoop, and that God is not me, and it's not you, it's not us. The first thing that we need to understand when we seek to make decisions, whether it be little decisions or major life-altering decisions, is we have to bust this illusion that we are in control of our lives. Many are the plans in a man's heart, in a woman's heart, in a child's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. How many things have you planned for this year that did not go as planned? We have jokingly said on many occasions that the most useless purchase of 2019 was a 2020 pl planner because so many things that we've written, weddings have been postponed. Graduations have become moved online. People who needed to take off work to attend no longer need to. All of these things. There was a man, a, a, a Scottish, Scottish man named Robert Burns. He was a poet, but one day he was, I, I guess you can't just be a poet 
in, and, and survive in Scotland back in the day. And so he was also a farmer. And so he was tilling land one day and he destroyed a mouse's nest. That's what I read. I don't know if mice have nests. I guess they do. But he destroyed it and he felt so bad. So what do poets do when they do something like that? They write a poem. <laughs> so he wrote a poem apologizing to the mouse. The poem was called To a Mouse. You don't know it, but you know the line in it. It says, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. There's only one God, and it's not us. And if there's one thing that 2020 is doing, it is exposing the illusion and the lie of control within our lives. From wildfires that are burning the homes of rich and poor alike people not in control to do anything about it. A few months back, or it might have been a year back, when um, LeBron James, the Los Angeles Laker basketball player, the greatest, at least this year, the second most valuable player in the NBA, his home was in danger, and so he had to evacuate. He said he was going to hotel, to hotel, to hotel, to hotel, and none of them had room for him. The greatest basketball, the most recognizable icon in the world was not even in control of where he put his head and his family to bed that night. We are not in control, whether that's wildfires that remind us of that, whether it's COVID-19 that reminds us of that. How many plans have you made, vacation plans? And think back even further. It's not just this year. Think back 10 years ago, the plans that you had for your life. When you were 15 years old, you're like, when I'm 25, I'm going to be married. I'm going to have a successful job. I'm going to have graduated from this college. 10 years later, you realize life is a whole lot different than what you thought it was going to look like just 10 years prior. We are not in control of our lives. And the first thing that we need to do is to understand, yeah, I need to make my plans. I can make my plans, but to hold them loosely because I'm not in control. Wisdom tells us that the fear of the Lord, that's the first rung on the ladder of wisdom. We're not in control. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Proverbs, that's right. Liam said Proverbs 3. Let's turn there. Proverbs chapter 3. One of the more famous phrases, clauses, verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does it mean? How do we recognize that we are not in control but God is? Let me read to you a passage that you might have seen on a pass it on card. You might have memorized these verses, but they're highly practical and not just theoretical nor just inspirational. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, in every way, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Here's what it's saying. If God is in control and I'm not, then it makes sense that I would want to get in the car with Him and follow Him wherever He leads. Jesus, take the wheel. That ought to be the response. Here's what He's saying. Three verbs that are commanded of us. Trust, do not lean and acknowledge, and if you do these things, you do your part, here's what God will do. It says, he will make your paths straight. In other words, he's saying he will smooth out your path. There are obstacles in the way of godly, wise decision-making. They come in the form of our selfish human desires. It comes in the form of folly, advice that is foolish or wicked. It comes in the way of, of things that we hear that tells us otherwise. It comes in the way of us being anxious and stressed out and fearful of making the right decision. 
decision and following God on the path of life. Here's what God is saying. If you do these three things, here's what I will do for you. I will remove these obstacles so that the way is so smooth for you to travel on. Wouldn't you love for the will of God and the decision-making process to be that smooth. God, just show me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. What if it was really like that? What if God really did that for you? A few months ago, uh, our little one, Elise, was, uh, she decided to play with uh, her older brother, Elijah's uh, remote control car. This is like this, this big old wheels and this little car, and she was trying to drive this thing, but she obviously has no idea how to drive. She doesn't have dexterity nor knowledge about doing any of these things, so she keeps on running it into the wall. And so when it runs into the wall, like some, uh, some RC cars are pretty cool. They can like flip over and then they'll turn around and you don't have to do anything. But she's trying to get it to turn. It just keeps on going into the wall, into the wall, into the wall. She doesn't know how to make a U-turn. And so she finally got, went over there. She picked up the car and she brought it to where she wanted to go. And she's like, oh, that was easy. Don't you wish sometimes that doing the will of God, following God, making godly decisions was that easy? Like, I'm stuck bumping against the wall. I'm going into dead end after dead end. And God says, okay, I'll make it easy. Let me pick you up and place you on the path that you need to go on. Wouldn't life be so much easier if it were that way? God, I've got these like five amazing colleges, and all of them are giving me different amounts of money. My mom wants me to go here. My dad wants me to go here. My siblings want me to go here. My best friend wants me to room here. I want to go here. Where should I go? Wouldn't it be easy if it were so clear <clears throat> with all these competing voices, if I just listen to the voice of God, then all these other voices are going to fall into place. The challenge is, what is God saying to me? <laughs> Here's what he's saying. If you do these things, I will open the way for you so that your paths will be made straight. What is it then that we need to do? Well, he says, first, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's what the picture is. Okay, you ever, I don't know if you've ever taken swim lessons. Our little one, Elise, is, is doing swim lessons right now, and um, Olivia's been sending me videos because I'm not, I'm not there to watch it, but she shows uh, Elise, like, going like three feet from one place to the other, and yay, this is amazing. But um, I was told Elise does not like floating on her back. She doesn't like floating on her back. Um, I don't like floating on my back either, but I realize that if you actually put all of your weight on the water, like you can float on your back. Did you know that? Of course you knew that because you are a lot better swimmer than I am. Of course you knew that. The only way that you'll float, though, is if you put 100% of your weight on the water. This is what Proverbs 3 is saying. Trust in the Lord, not with 50% of yourself, not with 80% of yourself, but with 100% of who you are. Fall back, and, and the actual picture is not on water, but falling onto like a bed and finding absolute rest in that place. Do you feel stressed out about trying to make the decisions a godly and wise decision, chances are, okay, chances are you may not be trusting in the Lord with 100% of who you are. The way that you know is that you won't be stressed. In the midst of the chaos, you'll, you'll be able to find rest. God says, why worry? 
when you can trust. But we say, why trust when we can worry? It makes a lot more sense to trust God with all of our heart. Well, what does that look like? Well, he goes on and he says, lean not on your own understanding. This word for lean means if you've ever sprained your ankle or you busted your knee or where's Josh Sohn? We have a guy who busted his knee. He's on crutches. Okay, What he's doing, what you do when you walk on crutches is you are leaning on your crutches. That's the picture here. Lean not on your own understanding. You are leaning on something, okay? Leaning on something. He says, don't lean on your own understanding of what you think you ought to do. It's important, yeah, that we plan, we research, we, 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 we gain the wisdom that we need to and gain the insight that we need to. He says, but at the end of the day, don't let that be where you're leaning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Why? Because Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way I'll read it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There are a lot of times where it seems that the right way is actually the wrong way. This was about, I would say, about 10 years ago when a couple in our church, Jason and, and Yoongyung, got married. But a few of us were up in Virginia, and we were at the wedding. And I think it was like one of the nights before, um, a few of us guys were driving to a seafood restaurant in that Virginia Beach area. And we were, back in those days, we didn't have like smartphones that had like Waze or Google Maps or, or Apple Maps or things like that. And you had a, there's actual uh, navigation device. Um, and so we, we were using a navigation device that we had got uh, from, I forget, it was from the rental car dealership or, or whatever it was. But this thing was, was taking us. We, uh, Jason had been there before, but the rest of us hadn't. We're driving, it was dark, and we're going to this seafood restaurant. And as we're going, uh, we're supposed to make a turn uh, a right turn right before this pier, but the GPS thing told us to keep on going straight. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we went straight, and we were like, this doesn't look like the right way, and the driver, I forgot who was driving, stopped probably about like 10 feet before the pier ended, and we would have driven off into the water. Like, what the nasty? Back in, the day, so back in the day, it was a Garmin and a TomTom. We're using a TomTom. From that day forward, I said, this is not a TomTom. This is a dum-dum. This is leading us the wrong way. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Obviously, Solomon does not have in mind a navigation system for your car that's going to lead you into the water, but he's talking about the things that seem so right. Man, that relationship seems so right. Like everything just seems to be falling into place. That business investment just seems so right. Everything is falling into place. My gosh, to move to that city, why would I not move there? The job, I mean, it, I would get paid five times more. That college, why, why wouldn't I? They're giving me a great financial package, but, and, and it's like the top-rated school. But we forget that. There's not a growing, thriving church community there. We forget that the person we're dealing with is shady. We don't see these things. We don't know that uh, the person we want to be in a relationship with doesn't follow. The, whatever these things, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. 
It says, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't trust fully in yourself. It starts and it ends with God. And here's the last thing that he, he says in, in, in chapter 3. It says, not only trust, not only lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, okay, in every way, every day, every moment, acknowledge him. Okay, acknowledge him. It's saying in every part of the process, oh, hey, God, hi, God, you're with me, God, you're with me, God. Acknowledge him, not just at the beginning, not just at the end, but at the start and the end and everywhere in between, acknowledging God, you're with me in this God. God, is this still the way you want me to go? Is this still the right way? Is this still the place you want me to go? Acknowledgement means to know intimately, to intimately be engaging with God throughout the length and throughout the process. That's what Sol Solomon is saying here. To trust in the Lord, fully throw yourself 100% upon God. Don't worry but trusting in Him, leaning not on what we think alone is the right thing to do, and in every step of the way, acknowledging God, and He says, this is what's going to happen. All the obstacles in your way will be removed in order that you could live and follow in the will of God and the purpose of God to make the godly decision. There's one God who's in control over all of the affairs of the universe and over our lives trusting in Him with every part of ourselves. That's the first thing. It begins and it ends and everywhere in between, it's got to be about God. First thing that we see. Okay. Second thing that we see, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs 15 here. Second thing that we see in light of that fact that there's one God, it's not us. Okay. Second thing is you need to embrace your limitations. Okay, you've got to embrace your limitations. That means understanding that I have limits to my knowledge. I cannot see everything. As I look at my life, I'm looking at this one moment in time and I can forecast what I think might be a few years, but God sees everything in one fell swoop, right? Sees all of it and says, no, I don't believe you should go in that direction. Embracing our limitations. What does that mean? It means there are uh, blind spots in our lives that we don't see about ourselves, about the person that we might want to be in relationship with, about the city that we want to go to, about the job that we want to go into, about the college that we want to go to, about the friends that we want to make, about whatever it is in life. To embrace our limitations means I'm not the smartest person in the room. And that's a really, 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 really good thing. And I think that was one of the great strengths of former President Barack Obama, he did a lot of great things. He did some things maybe you don't agree with. But one of his strengths was that he recognized that my success and the success of a nation depends on me surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me in different areas of administration. Therefore, together we can make the best decisions. That's what it says in Proverbs 15, verse 22. Proverbs uh, 15, 22, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. There is wisdom right, in seeking and soliciting the wise and godly counsel of those who know more and know better than we do. There's wisdom in that. Uh, I remember uh, talking to some counselors and, and, hey, the question was posed to them, what's the biggest challenge that you see when people come into your counseling office? You might think they would say things like, oh, definitely it's relational issues, definitely it's identity issues, definitely it's about, you know, their, their self-image. They didn't say anything like that. They said that the, the biggest issue we see 
And this was maybe in a more global and a, and a more, uh, obs- it's not an answer that anybody would guess, but they said, the biggest problem, the biggest challenge is that people come to us too late. They come too late. In other words, you don't need to hit rock bottom before you reach out to somebody to help you. The stuff doesn't need to blow up in your face before you ask people to help. A lot of times that's what we do, either because I don't want to bother people or because you know that the direction you're going to go in is wrong and won't be met with approval. That's why people often want to say after the fact, yep, you know what, hey, I think uh, uh, I'm dating this person. Oh, you are. It, you, guys, you guys already made it official. Yeah, we just did it yesterday. I just wanted, wanted to tell you. Well, you should have told us beforehand before you got into a relationship with the serial killer, right? <laughs> but it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission, right? That's the challenge is a lot of times we come too late after the carnage and after the pain and after the heartbreak and after the damage has been done. Yeah, no problem no, uh, is irreversible and no failure is, is ever fatal or final, but still, you could save yourself a whole lot of harm if you were to ask people who see the blind spots around you. Proverbs tells us we need to find, uh, seek the counsel of other people. It also tells us what kind of people we ought to listen to. Actually, it tells us who we ought not listen to. So let's look at, at, at Hebrews 12.5 uh, and 14.7, just two verses real quick that tell us the kind of people we should not listen to. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. That's 12.5. Turn the page to 14.7. It says, stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. Getting advice from people is helpful, but where you get advice from matters more than anything else. I remember uh, when I was doing youth ministry, there was a, a, a seventh grade girl, okay, seventh grade girl, and at a retreat, she was reading uh, magazine, I think it was called Teen Magazine or Sixteen Magazine, something like that. She was 12. And she read that, and I was like, hey, where did you get that magazine from? And she was like, oh, my mom bought it for me. I was like, your mom bought it for you. I was reading, I just read, um, I was reading some of the, uh, you know, on the cover of these magazines, it's like Jojo Siwa or someone famous, Britney Spears on it, and then it has like these, these uh, headlines. And one of the headlines was, how to get any guy on the beach. You're a seventh grader. Do you really want to get any guy on the beach? That's ridiculous. Who you listen to makes all the difference in the world, right? The, the, the other day, our three kids were playing something. They're doing, messing around with something. I was in my room doing work, and I overheard them talking. But apparently, Elise was waiting for Elijah to do something. And she said, come on, Elijah, hurry up. We're not getting any younger down here. <laughs> so I said, what? So I walked out. I was like, Manny, what, what did she say? And Elijah said, Elise always does that. She just like watches movies and then repeats lines from there. This is a line from Tangled, the movie Tangled, which is about Rapunzel had long, long hair. And apparently the witch at the bottom of the, of the tower was waiting for Rapunzel to let down her hair. So she's like, hurry up already. We're not getting any younger down here. So Elise was just waiting for Elijah. And so she just repeated the same thing. What you hear, who you hear advice from affects and impacts the choices and the words we say and the decisions that we make. Are you, well, 
I made this terrible decision to do this thing and, 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 and I ended up in prison. Who did you, did you ask anyone for advice? Yeah, yeah, I asked my friends. Who are your friends? Well, my friends are like, uh, they're in jail with me, <laughs> right? So <laughs> who, who are the people we are not? At? The wicked and the foolish. Okay, wicked people are people who are, they're, they're I think one of the biblical Old Testament definitions is people who choose themselves over uh, the community. That's a wicked person. A foolish person is someone who doesn't know. They don't know anything. If they know something, they don't show that they know anything. And three, they don't care that they don't know anything. They don't want to be corrected. Are you running with the wicked and are you running with fools? Because the advice that they give you is not going to lead you to godly decisions. We have to be thoughtful and filtered and have barriers to make sure that the right advice is coming in. A few weeks ago when I was in Virginia visiting my, my, my parents, I was at Walmart with my mom and we were checking out in the checkout aisle and I was looking at like gum and candy like that and my mom was saying something to me in Korean and I was looking around and I wasn't looking at her so it seemed like I wasn't paying attention. There was this older gentleman behind me and he said, uh, young man, are you listening to what she's saying to you? <laughs> so I said, I'm sorry. Like I was a little bit shocked that he's, he's called me a young man. So I was kind of happy about that. He said, young man, are you listening to her? And I, I said, I'm sorry. He said, uh, let me think, what did he say? He said something like, um, you might learn a thing or two if you listen. Uh, she has some good things to say if you would listen to what she's saying. Okay. I said, yes, sir, thank you. <laughs> for calling me young. <laughs> if, you, if there's someone in your life okay, who cares for you, they're wiser than you, it behooves us to listen to what they have to say. Even if they, but, okay, so I would say that even if they don't know, if they don't know Jesus, yeah, then it's worth listening to. But, but listen, if they're wiser than you and they're, spending time in the Word of God and their minds are being renewed and the wisdom that comes from them is drawing from the Word of God, we need to listen to what they have to say. If they're wiser than you and they are in the Word of God and they're praying people, whoo, yeah, what they say is gold flowing from their lips. And if they're praying for you particularly about what you're going through and they're wiser and in the Word, man, those are life-giving words that we need to listen to, even if they push against the choices that we want to make right now in life. Listen, give heed to what they have to say, especially when the decisions that you're making have long-lasting impact. Things that impact relationships. Things about where you're going to live, what job you're going to take, who you should be in a relationship with. All of these major life decisions, the more these decisions impact, the, well, the, when these decisions impact more people and they impact a longer period of time, we need to especially embrace our limitations and seek the wisdom of those who are wiser and have been on the road a little bit longer. That's the second thing that we see. Last thing, okay, first thing, we've got to begin and end all the way with God. 
Second thing is we've got to embrace our limitations. Here's the third thing. Making wise little decisions will help you when it's time to make wise big decisions. (laughs) In other words, the little decisions that you make, when you make them in wisdom, they're helping you so that when you have to make a big decision, you'll be able to make the best godly decision. So if God is in control, he's in control over everything, sovereign over even the roll of a dice. I think Proverbs 16.3 says that. I might be wrong. Don't quote me. But the roll of a dice is in the hands of God. The heart of a king, like a king who makes these decrees that impact hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of people, the heart of a king, Proverbs says, is turned like water in the hands of God. If God is in sovereign rule and control over all those things, then what's the point of me making any decision at all? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. I've certainly asked, what's the point of praying? If God knows what's going to happen and His will will come to pass. I think in in different things, when it's maybe less spiritual, so to speak, it's easier for us to realize it's not the theological issue that we think it might be. Maybe it is in our minds, but in practice it's not. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it in God in the Dock. He says, imagine you're eating dinner with your friends, you go out to uh, Burger King or, uh, I don't know, Steak and Shake or some sit-down place where there's ketchup on the table, but you've got your fries, but the ketchup is on the other side of the table. God could have put it right in front of you, but He put it on the other side of the table. So what do you do? Do you say, huh, I guess, well, God knew. I guess he doesn't want me to eat ketchup today with my fries. Is that what you say? Or do you say to the person down the table, hey, can you pass me the ketchup? You asked him to pass the ketchup. Why? Well, because you can. And because you're, well, did God know you were going to do that? Was he in control of that? I guess if that's what the Bible says, but it's still a real choice. It says the same thing. If it's raining outside today, you don't say, God knew if I should get wet or if I should stay dry. I don't have my umbrella, it's in the other room, should I go and get it? Well, yeah, you should go and get it, that's silly. You, this, is not a, this is not a practical issue for us, right? It's very simple. We do what we need to do because through our choices, God's purposes are enacted in human history, in time and in space. It says, otherwise, what's your option? Your option is just, he says, fine, then. If you believe God is sovereign, so everything's going to work out its own way, you don't have to do anything, he says, fine, eat your fries bland and get soaked in the rain. But none of us would do that because we know better. We know that it's not that big of a practical issue as much as we make it to be as we spin it around in our minds. So what does it mean then? How do we make the choices then that would honor God? Well, if you look in... Uh, Proverbs 6, well, 16.3, I guess I was wrong. Here's Proverbs 16.3. This is, I, I would say this may be one of the most important verses, well, to me, uh, in the book of Proverbs. Um, this really opened my eyes to see, wow, this is what it means to be in position to make a good decision. Proverbs 16.3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I don't know if you've read that verse before. It may sound familiar, and we might think, well, this is a no-brainer. Why is this so important? Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. That makes sense to me. I try to do that. Here's what, here's what we think that means. All right, God, I'm going to commit this to you. Here's, here's what I think. Uh, I'm a senior. Here's where I want to go to college because, you know, my parents, 
they are doing okay financially, but they're not going to get financial aid and can't go out of state, can't go private. So we're gonna, here, here's my plan, God. I'm going to go to, um, I guess I'll go to UF, uh, which is a great school, and then I'm going to grad school, and then I'm going to go to, uh, in the middle of grad school, I'm going to get married or meet a girl or a guy, and then I'm going to get married, and then uh, if he's a rich guy, I'm going to quit school, and then I'm going to go on. God, would you just bless this? And if he's a poor guy, then I'll continue on in my career. Whatever, you know, I just, I just commit this to you, and, and Lord, let it succeed. Isn't that what we say? Here's my plan. Here's my business proposal. This is what I want to do. Or, God, here's what I want to do. Maybe next year I'll take the practice SAT, the PSAT, then take an SAT, all these tests, and then blah, 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 blah. We're going to go on. Here's what, uh, when we look at Proverbs 16.3, we think that's what it means because we don't fully understand what he's saying. Here's how we read Proverbs 16.3. If I could just, here's how I read it. I read it, commit to the Lord your plans and whatever you do will succeed. I'll work two years here, I'll get promoted, work two years here, I'll take a uh, promotion, lateral move it seems, but a lot more money, different company, higher ceiling, higher growth potential, I'll go there and then I'll I'll start my own thing, I'll do that, we'll sell it, we'll be rich, we'll retire. Uh, That's my plan, Lord, would you bless it? That's what we think this is saying. Commit to the Lord your plans, and whatever you do will succeed. That's not what God is saying. Because you understand, you, you might have heard this before. God's a lot more, he's not as concerned about where you go as who you are. Have you heard that before? Like, God doesn't matter if you're in Chicago or if you're in, in L.A. He ma- what matters is that you're, you're loving Jesus. You're following him. You're committed to him. You're a person of integrity. You're growing in community. You're making an impact in the world. What you do is not as important as who you are. Where you are is not as important as who you are. Those things are important, but God would much rather have you doing what you do faithfully for Jesus here than you being the most, uh, a missionary in the most difficult place and having awful character. You get what I'm saying? God's more concerned with us being more like Jesus than he is about what you're doing or where you're doing it. So here's what this verse means. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. So everything that I do, God, I do this for you. God, today I've got, I'm going to virtual school. It's really hard for me. I want to yell at my teacher because her voice, I thought it was annoying in real life, but on Zoom or on, on Microsoft Teams, it's so much worse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And that kid, he's always, he's always saying things like, my stomach hurts because I drank coffee. He's so annoying. I don't want to be me. God, help me. Everything I do, I'm committing it to. And here's what happens. As we commit our lives to God, moment by moment, in the little decisions that we make, here's what God is doing. He's molding us into becoming the kind of people of wisdom who will make plans that will succeed. As you become the person God wants you to become, the will of God and decision-making will become a lot easier to you. I trust in the Lord. God, in this moment, God, you're telling me to go talk to that person at Taco Bell about Jesus. I I don't want to do it, but God, I'm going to commit whatever I do to you. Would you help me? God, as I order my food at Ale House, Lord, help me to be a light and a witness to this server. God, even though that server didn't give me good food, I'm going to tip them really well. I'm going to show a countercultural picture of who the people of God. I'm going to, everything I do, I'm committing it to you. And as we grow to become more like Jesus, wisdom is as wisdom does. Wisdom is not what wisdom simply knows. 
as we begin to live life of wisdom, character of Christ begins to pervade us. We begin to change. We begin to think God's thoughts after him so that we begin to make plans in accordance with what the will of God would have led us had we just sat in a monastery seeking him, thinking, asking, praying. He makes our paths straight. Proverbs 11.3 gives us another picture of basically the same thing, but this is what it says in and, and all this, we're realizing that Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs is not if I just know this and live it, bam, I'm going to become, if I know these things, I'm going to become wise. No, it's about the person we're becoming. Okay? Wisdom is not just the ability to spout out different uh, pithy statements. Wisdom is the ability to live it out in relation to one another. And this is what he says, Proverbs 11.3. He says, the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. In other words, you need guidance. Here's where guidance is going to come from in your life, the integrity of your heart and the way in which you live for God, the upright, that's going to lead you, okay? That's going to guide you. That's going to direct you so that you don't veer off the path. As you seek and pursue a life of godliness, of holiness, of integrity, then the way of the Lord will become straight to you. In other words, as you live in, midst, in the midst of the revealed will of God, then God will open up to you the concealed will of God, that which you don't know. I know this is all, well, it's still hard to make the right choices, to uproot myself from this place and go from one place to another. It's difficult. The only, I would venture to say probably the only person for whom making decisions wasn't so hard Probably Jesus. I mean, it definitely wasn't so hard for him because he rejected the advice of the foolish and the wicked. He listened to his father. He was submitted to him from the beginning to the end. He said, whatever you want me to do, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Wherever you lead, wherever you lead, wherever you lead, even, even to the ultimate picture of the wisdom of God, the cross. Foolishness to the world. There's no way that that's the right way. Well, there's a way that seemed right to Jesus, said those who followed him, but in the end it led to death. Maybe Jesus wasn't right after all, they thought. But on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven, he rose again. And he vindicated the wisdom of God, vindicated, flipped the foolishness of this world upside down and on its head, said, sometimes, guys, the foolishness of God, what seems foolish is inf always, is infinitely greater than the wisdom of this world. But the wisdom of God often looks foolish in the eyes of the world. But we look back at that cross and we say, wow, you know what? There's a way that seemed wrong to us, but in the end, it led to life. Jesus is saying today, for those of you who have decisions to make, and that's every single one of us, 35,000 a day if you're an adult, every one of us need to make decisions, and for the better part of your life, you may have made the wrong decisions. I don't know. I don't know. You may have felt like you've made some great decisions in godly wisdom, but the reality is that, yeah, there are some who have made decisions that you regret. Jesus is telling us, and the Word of God is telling us, the path of wisdom and the path of folly 
Like the longer you walk on the path of wisdom, the more you'll eat of its fruit. The longer you walk on the path of folly, the longer you'll taste of its harm. But no matter how long you've been walking on the path of folly, all it takes is one step to get onto the other path. Jesus looked at a thief who was crucified next to him on the cross who had made bad decision after bad decision and the very worst decision of his life. He was mocking Jesus even up until the point of his death. But in Luke's gospel, it says the last moment of his life, he looked at Jesus and all of his bad decisions were redeemed by one amazing decision to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm turning to you if you would have me. And if you'd come honestly to Jesus, there will never be a moment of your life where Jesus' arms will not be open wide to you. Every bad decision that you've ever made can be redeemed by one glorious, grand, beautiful decision to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. If you've already made that commitment, let's recommit to that today. If you haven't made that decision, let's make that choice today that, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live in the midst of your goodness on the highway of holiness where the paths are made straight for those who trust in him. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord. Maybe it's not even asking the Lord. Maybe it's, it's confessing to the Lord, I've made some bad decisions but today I want to make a good decision. I want to turn to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to get off the path of folly and onto the path of wisdom that starts with the decisions I make today and that starts with the decision I make now. If you've not put your trust in Christ as the forgiver of your sins and as the master of your life, as the good and perfect, wise, all-loving, all-knowing guide for your life, you can do that today. Hey, Jesus, I need you. I turn from folly to God. I want to follow you all the days of my life. If you're worshiping online, you can pray that prayer. Put your faith in Christ and begin walking with him. If you're here in person, make that decision. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for my mistakes, my sins, my wrong choices. I trust in you. Lord, change me from the inside out. Can we pray? And maybe some of you have big decisions to make in your future. Just pray, Lord, help me to commit whatever I do to the Lord so that my plans will succeed. Let's pray for a minute. It's committing ourselves to wisdom, commending ourselves to God. Lord, I need you as we commit ourselves to following. Let's pray for a minute, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue uh, to worship the Lord. Father in heaven, we look to you today. Once again, we 
are reminded of what the unbelieving half-brother of Jesus while Jesus was alive, when he encountered the risen Jesus, he believed that Jesus was and is and forever will be who he said he is. James tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who graciously gives to anyone, without judgment, without finding fault. Father in heaven, some of us, many of us, all of us have decisions that we need to make, whether we think they're big or not, but we have decisions to make. We need wisdom as it relates to, should I talk to that person? Should I correct that person? Should I reach out to this person with the gospel? Should I do it now? Should I wait? Should I move to this city? Should I take this job offer? How do I parent? How do I discipline? How do I speak in a loving way to different people in different times? Father, we need your wisdom. We thank you that it is available to every one of your children. We pray that you would help us that we would embrace the wisdom that comes from heaven through faith, through humility, through realizing there's only one God in control of it all and that we would begin and end and everywhere in between committed to you. That we'd seek the godly wisdom of others and at the end of the day, that we would seek to make the right decision in the little things. In so doing, Father, would you help us to grow in wisdom, to grow to become more like Jesus, to grow to fall more and more in love with our wise and loving Savior. Thank you for being so good to us, making it possible for us to be led well. May your faithfulness in the past anchor our hope that you will forever be faithful to us in the future. In Jesus' name we pray.